Welcome to Waterculture number nine, where we are, or should I say, the guys are going to be discussing tunnels and trolls. No, you were so, in it as well. I know I was in it, but I don't really, I don't really discuss games, it's not my thing. So, we <laughs> jumped round, um, Uncle, no, Beneath the Dark Elms for us back April last year. So, during first lockdown, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, and I believe you've also played Uncle Ugly's Underground and Capture the Troll previously as well. Mm -hmm. We have. So, um, Tunnels of Trolls then. I've heard a lot about it. Um, I'd never heard of it until I met John. I will be quite honest about that. Um, but since then, you've heard however, a lot about it. Since, <laughs> since then, I've heard an awful lot about it. Um, and I kind of get the feeling that it's probably one of his favourite games. So some people like D&D, or AD&D, and know lots about that. John knows lots about Tunnels So I'm going to hand over to you guys and, and sort of go, what, tell me about Tunnels and Trolls. When did it first sort of appear on the market? 1975. Uh after, depending which version of the story you hear, uh, Ken San Andre in Phoenix with a group of gaming friends <coughs> borrowed somebody's copy of Dungeons and Dragons, which itself hadn't been out for long and had made it all the way down to Arizona. And he read it and thought, this is an absolutely brilliant idea, and it's completely unintelligible and impossible to play, which is largely true if you've ever read the original, unless you go into it understanding how you play the game. Mm. It's very, very hard to understand from it how to play the game. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a bit of a catch-22. And he, he just rewrote a fantasy role-playing game. The idea of playing one character, having adventures, killing things, you know, and that was that. So it was pretty much the second role-playing game that came out. Mm. Although it was a time when quite what constituted a role-playing game was up for grabs, because nobody used that term. Mm. So what was, it, what was it at the time? What was it called? Um, well, the, uh, I mean, Tunnels and Trolls, was ju it was just a game. Everybody referred to them as basically D&D &D anyway. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons said something like, isn't it... Fantasy game? Adventure Game was used in either uh, Alarms and Excursions or The Wild Hunt. I can't remember which one. I think that was one of the first... I should really have read the elusive shift here, shouldn't I? Um, yeah, I did buy it on my birthday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's the elusive shift? Um, do you remember, you remember uh, playing at the world? Yes. It's, Is there a new sort one? Of, sort of a sequel. Oh, wow, cool. I'm adding it to my wish list. Yeah, Sorry. There, there were wargamers calling these things war games. Yeah. So uh -huh. I, I, I think it was quite fuzzy. Well, it was because okay. On Guard was out in 75, mm. and mm. that is sort of a role play <coughs> game. Kind of. And if you approach it from today and look at it, it's. Um, it's, it's kind of not exactly a role-playing. In fact, if you looked at it today, I suppose it would seem sort of indie. It's got kind of mm. lots of programmed things and social classes, what it's all about, rather than experience points. It's mm. also really badly written as a set of rules. <coughs> oh, Christ, yeah. Or the, the well, original more. there's a, there's a that's lot that's of that about. In 1970-something, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <coughs> but I think they had a very good <coughs> excuse, which was nobody really knew quite what they were doing and how to write it. Mm -hmm. they, they could write wargaming rules, but beyond that, it was... You know, it was new. It was new and hat. different, um, and, and something else that if you didn't want to, 
yeah. have miniatures all over a table. Yeah, and that's, that's probably the key point of divergence is that Ken Sanandre was uh, was a gamer, but he wasn't mainly a war gamer. I believe he may have played a bit of war gaming, but he he wasn't primarily a war gamer. Whereas you look at Gygax, and he was fundamentally a war gamer. Mm, yeah. So okay. Could you actually argue, maybe, that Tunnels and Trolls was the first one to say you don't need figures? Um, no. <laughs> I don't know if you could. <laughs> uh, I can't remember if the first edition actually actually mentions whether you need them or not. Certainly the fifth edition says it's not really designed to be played with miniatures and doesn't actually support their use in any way. But if you want some, um, here's a link, to, uh, here's the, the address for Martian Metals, who make a range of Tunnels and Trolls miniatures. <laughs> nice. Okay. Alright, so why... So, as I stated at the beginning, I'd never heard of it before I met you. Shim, had you heard of it before you met these guys? Uh... I think I might have vaguely heard, like, come across the term somewhere, but I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, um, I mean, people people generally know who Gary Gygax is if they're remotely interested in listening to something like this. But I, I mean, I personally have no background at all on Kenton Andre. That's okay. Um, He's we, American. Could you give us a? Could you give us a very brief? Uh, well, I can't give you his life story. He was—he's uh, described himself as a barbarian librarian. Um, he's now a retired <laughs> librarian, I believe. But he was for years but a still librarian, a barbarian. and he was particularly um, a sort of swords and sorcery fan, <coughs> and fantasy of all sorts. And don't forget that the '60s is the first time that you really start to get paperback sword and sorcery and fantasy. You now the Lancer Conan books are coming out. Uh, and key to Tunnels and Trolls, along comes a book called Board of the Rings by the Harvard Lampoon. Uh, which got a copy of that somewhere. Uh, at least one. I think I may have got rid of mine. I have the computer game of it. Good God. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, which is, it's a very highbrow erudite, um, I suppose you, you could call it a parody of uh, Professor Tolkien's work, <laughs> uh, with characters such as um, dildo, bugger, legger lamb. Yes, it's, it's not very... Uh, sawhead, because if you're going to make a pun, you may as well mispronounce the original person's name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, carry on. So, uh, yeah, so he, he was he was this, he was a librarian, and he's still kicking around, uh, despite um, serious car accidents very recently. But he's a lot better now. And uh, he was part of thing, something called the Phoenix Cosmic Circle, I think, at that, at that time. It's a little before my time, you know. This was around the sort of time when I got a six million dollar man action figure. So I'm. Is that around about behind these people? Is that Phoenix, as in Phoenix, Arizona? Phoenix, Arizona. Right. So around it Phoenix, Scottsdale, that sort of area, and there, there were just a group of people. And he he wrote this thing up. He wanted to call it Tunnels and Troglodytes, apparently. And when that was laughed out of the room, he decided on Tunnels and Trolls. Fair enough. He printed up. Uh, can I? I can I? Sorry. Mm. Was it a deliberate um, sort of T and T? To sound very like D and D was that a deliberate thing? Maybe, probably. Okay. You know. Possibly, it's, it's um, kind of. It was sort of his version. He was kind of doing it for his friends originally. He, he, he photocopied a load of um, 
copies. I think he did something like a hundred copies, or got, well, had them photocopied. Sold a number of them to people he knew, and then um, Rick Loomis, who had a company called Flying Buffalo, which was, uh, I think they may have printed a war game by then, but they were basically a play-by-mail company, and they sold war games and things. He was off to a convention, and uh, Ken knew him, or was introduced to him, and said, could you possibly take these with you, and, you know, just bring back any that don't sell, and I don't know if he did it for a fee or split the profits or whatever, and he totally sold out. Which led to Rick Loomis thinking, hang on. <laughs> uh, so he then started printing it. The next thing you know, by 1979, you've got five editions of Come and Gone-ish. So that's really quick, isn't it? So And then it stayed at uh, fifth edition right up until about 2013, 14, something like that. <laughs> There was what they call a 5.5, but it isn't It isn't a new edition, really. It's it's the original edition with a load of blank pages at the back because FBI had changed their... That's Flying Buffalo Inc. Had changed their <laughs> printer. They'd had to change the printer. And the new printer would only do a thing of a certain length. So they had some spare pages, which they filled up with some old material. <laughs> so, so that's what a new... That was 5.5, which, of course, was a bit of a joke on D&D 3.5. I get the impression... I don't know if this is a segue, but that... It's changed very little over all those editions. It's, it was a yeah, bit like Cthulhu I mean, until 7th edition. Is that right? The, the deluxe edition, which is the one around at the moment, that has had a number of changes. And there were a couple of editions that weren't done by Flying Buffalo. Um, there was the 30th anniversary, the 7th edition, which is kind of the same, and then the 7.5, which is very similar. And that's when Ken put a lot of his things like... Um, a stat to power spells as opposed to it coming off your strength and things like that, which he particularly liked. Uh, fifth edition was edited by Liz Danforth, who did a lot of the illustrations, um, quite a lot since almost the beginning, in fact. And um, when it came to Deluxe, I think there may have been a little tension here and there, but certainly if you see anything that Ken writes about it now, uh, he, he seems to have distanced himself a bit from Fifth in that it, it was mostly Liz's work as an editor, how it finally came out. Uh, and it is very well put together and very well edited. And I think some of his uh, crazier ideas, maybe, or less well playtested ideas, hadn't made it in. <laughs> I think it, it's probably like when Tom Baker had been in um, Doctor Who for a while and suggested he have an intelligent space cabbage as a sidekick. And the people in charge said, not just at the moment, Tom, if that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> so why why isn't it more, well, why wasn't it more well-known? Well, it was well-known. It, it had several GM adventures published. It got lots of magazine articles. It had its own magazine, mm. Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was also publishing lots of um, original fiction people like uh, Carl Edward Wagner, uh, Manly Wade Wellman, other authors who didn't even have three names. Um, loads of solo adventures. Solo adventures is what I what I would have known it for. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I missed that because I would have been I would have been well, all up in it. I think they didn't come over here in great quantity. Um, that, yeah, that was my question. So, is it better known in America? Than it is in the UK. I was. I well, someone sort of. They had FBI UK. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They also did did loads of things like the um, the play by mail 
they also did a there was Chris Harvey Games in Walsall, I think it was. Uh, he did he printed up the things in the UK editions, which are pretty much the American versions shrunk down to A5, so that everything's just slightly smaller. And they also, I think he was doing the um, advertising in that for their postal games, which they called ICBM, which I think was uh, International Computing by Mail. And then Flying with Low Ink, of course, is FBI. So there's lots of gags flying around. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, you could get all of the stuff, including the solo adventures in the UK. Uh, I I remember seeing it in Virgin Games Centres, if you recall those. Uh, And different places like uh, Beatty's Model Place, back when they sold role-playing games, and indeed were still around. Mm. (laughs) I I was released onto the market after Tunnels and Trolls, Um, but I, I remember being aware of it probably from seeing Adverts either in, um, I didn't really get Dragon. Uh, did I get Dragon? No, it probably would have been the old Games Workshop magazines, would they have been, would they have mentioned it? I knew of White it, Dwarf, and I don't yeah. recall, uh, yeah, that's the yeah, one I, was White, I, I, I don't recall um, it turning up much in White Dwarf. I mean, yes, it was the investments. I don't think they ever, uh, produced adventures for it or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they did. Okay. Uh, Mad Dwarf, there's a solo adventure in there, which was later reworked into Agent of Death. And I mean, there's, I, I, there are articles in different worlds as well, I think. I knew of it, but I knew nothing about it in that I didn't know what made it distinct from D&D. Have we talked yeah. about that? What is it okay. that is distinct? Well, I was just going to say, but before we get onto that, Mark, when did you first? So I think I'd probably... all. Um, so as far as actually playing it, I'd hardly played it at all before I started playing it with John. Um, and it's it's always been one of those ones where... It was always kind of, or at least in the circles that I, that I sneered at. No, not no. I was actually <laughs> going to say it was actually generally. It was that and original D and D were always talked about in the same sort of breath. That it mm-hmm. was com- that it was overcomplicated. The rules were quite were quite obtuse, and um, yeah, um, let's play this instead. Um, okay. And it never really was something. So I mean, I knew that um, <clears throat> um, I, I had a couple of friends when I was at university uh, first time that uh, played it uh, because they played it as a solo game. Yeah. Um, but nobody, say even at our uh, role playing society, um, suggested playing it as a as a thing. I mean, I, I suppose. I mean, you also remember. At that point, we were doing things like we were playing Star Trek and we were playing because Next Gen was just coming out and we were getting the stuff mm-hmm. shipped over and things like that to see that. Um, or, or we were playing Ghostbusters and things, you know, that, that was kind of what the university um, role playing lot were, were, were doing. So you never had the joy of somebody running Tunnels and Trolls and then someone bringing their character in that they've run through the solo adventures and saying, do you mind if I bring in my character? And then you discover and he's got a hand of living diamond and 800 hit points, you know. <laughs> no. no, thankfully, uh, we never had that. So, uh, And I started with GURPS at that point as well. So, uh, so. See, I lo- I've never heard of it and I've been role-playing for 35 years. Um. <clears throat> And it was just Johnny. Yeah, Jane come lately. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's just never, no. never shown up in any of any of the groups I role played with at all. I do think it was far more 
popular is a bit extreme, but it was far more well known <laughs> um, in 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 America than it was over here. It never, well, or or it might have been in certain areas. But you had several fanzines over here. There was Take That Your Fiend, John Harrington did. There was Pandemonium, Matty DeMonte, uh, who rather bizarrely, I ended up uh, selling something to on eBay. I can't, I can't <laughs> so was it was it you the same Matty DeMonte? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say cult when you're talking about a niche hobby already. But was it was it a very niche... a niche of a niche? Or was was it indeed a shallow? Was it the album? kind of thing that it strikes me as the kind of thing that had limited but very passionate fans. I suppose that's true of all role playing games, really, yeah. isn't it? except Man Myth and Magic, which is just shit. Wow. Um, we should do a whole one on Herbie so. Brennan just to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not be so. We'll, we'll get Mike in on that. He's very profane on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I used to love the Grail Quest books, but anyway, let's move on. Okay, so it, maybe I'm just being unlucky. <laughs> Not sort of turned away. It well, really I, was I, sneered at. I, I, I think the we same probably way. all have similar experiences. Um, I first met it actually when Grimtooth's Traps came out, which is right. 1981. Yeah. That was the first time I'd met Flying Buffalo at all, and I, you know, I was just starts. Was it really 1981? Goodness. Anyway. Um, um, 80 or 81, yeah. Anyway, it, I think it may have been a reprint in that case, because I, it, I, I met it a few years later, but that, all of a sudden, it, okay, what, what, what is this about trolls? This is clearly not the trolls I know. <clears throat> then, then I did a bit of digging. Oh, there's this whole, there's this whole other game, apparently, but it's expensive and you have to get it from somewhere else. And... But it was cheap compared to, for example, AD&D. It was, very cheap. It was also very simple. Was not if, not if you already owned AD&D. But it was kind of everything was in the one book, and I'm surprised, Mark, when you said that it was regarded as being hard to understand and Mm. and complex because its reputation usually people would would dismiss it as well. It's very silly is the one thing which I'm sure we'll get to, and um, the rules are incredibly simple and. I mean, I sent you that quote from um, Space Gamer number seventy six where. In the letters column, Greg Kostikian was talking about games, and I think he was he was answering. Um, this was as GURPS was announced, and they they put a big article in there about what is the state of the art, and it just happened to be opposite the full page advert for GURPS, and I don't think he took kindly to that. Um, but he said, you know, if I was going to run a fantasy campaign today, I would probably use the Tunnels and Trolls rules. Yeah, they're dumb, but they're simple and they're adequate for my my needs. So, um, huge praise there from Mr. Dickin. <laughs> but he's kind of right. They're absolutely adequate for running a role-playing game. They might not suit everybody. They might not give you quite what you need. But they're adequate. Well, I mean, we'll go on to actually, I guess, the actual games that we've played, but I have no issue at all with how the rules work. Um, I think, partly I think probably because John knows them inside out, backwards and sideways. No, he doesn't. No, in comparison to the rest <laughs> of One of the us. reasons John ended up with this game is because he can get away with not having to remember. Because <laughs> we things. don't all know. I was going to say, he doesn't have to read loads. Um, oh, excuse me. That's not quite easy to remember. It's a bit of a yeah. ficko. <laughs> no, he doesn't have to read loads. What I mean is, you don't have like... Is your copy in crayon, books? John? Well, which, which one? <laughs> Uh, also, just in terms <laughs> of mechanics... I've got 18 copies. I mean, I've got two here. And there's one I can see a big tunnel of controls right in front of me. 
in terms of the game, what mechanics, she doesn't know, listener, is that that box isn't a copy of Tunnels and Trolls. That <laughs> was a spare, <laughs> empty box which has three copies of Tunnels and Trolls. Oh my god! It's, it's Tunnels and Trolls Inception. Uh, can can oh. uh, an early D and D, or even a D and D, where you've got. Um, a mechanic for this, a different mechanic for that, oh. a new rule for something else. Tunnels and yeah. Trolls, as far as I can see, basically has two. You have your stat saves and you have your combat roll. Yeah, although originally the saving rolls were basically on luck. That was the because mm-hmm. it had got luck, which other games didn't have for, for years. Um, and you would just say, oh, okay, you know, make a roll on luck, your luck to see if you get away with that. And this then eventually started being used as kind of, well, you want to do something tricky in combat. Sure, make a saving roll. Uh, I'll tell you what, you're trying to get through that door, why don't you make a roll on strength instead of luck? Because that makes more sense. So it kind of just became the equivalent of a, you know, a full-on attribute-based sort of skill system, I suppose. Did, sorry, did I, did he write it overnight? Did I miss that? Did you no, say that? I don't I don't, think so. No, okay. Sorry, you might be thinking message. of Jack Kerouac. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think he did. <laughs> Okay, sorry, carry on. Um, I mean, as a person who came to, well, all role-playing quite late, um, but, you know, in particular to early D&D and Tunnels and Trolls, both late and had to get used to both systems, mm-hmm. I, I've i definitely found Tunnels and Trolls was much easier to just start playing because there was because of that streamlined nature of it, the the simplicity of it. Um, but did you, know, you I, find the nature of the combat hard to get your head around? Not because it's a complicated set of rules, but because the way it looks at a combat is so abstract compared to even D and D. So I think the thing is actually. Um, I mean, you know, I came to early D&D with a lot of grounding in, okay, first of all, having actually read Dragon Magazine mm-hmm. a few times in my youth but never got to actually play. Um, back when that was still, you know, second edition D&D, AD&D um, or whatever. Oh, yeah, and the then, one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and played, uh, you know, Icewind Dale, the other AD&D-based, second edition-based that's a good game. Computer games. There's new oh, okay. You know, in. other, and then, you know, third edition Pathfinder, even, which are all at least drawing on the same way of thinking as D&D, uh, as the early D&D. Um, you know, even with that, going back to the early D&D that we've done, I've, I've found slightly harder to get my head around than Tunnels and Trolls was, despite not having that same advantage when I was coming to Tunnels and Trolls. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think, like you say, it, it's a very different perspective, but once you, once you tell yourself to look at things in that direction, it's not that difficult to pick up, I think. Mm-hmm. So I have no opinion on, on the combat rules because I never remember the rules. No, I must say, I, to me, I just let John do it all and I just yeah. roll my ass. Well, it's it's that simple, unless you're doing sort of individual combats. All the good guys, you roll your dice individually, and it, you're rolling the dice that your weapon does, plus your combat adds, which are derived from your stats. Mm. So you might have a, I don't know, a short sword might do three dice plus two or something. 
Uh, so you'd roll three dice, you'd add two, you'd add on your, your combat ads, which might be another two or three or whatever. And then you would add that in with everyone else, because you're all fighting as a group, and the GM is then rolling your opponent, all fighting as a group, or depending on how many there are, doesn't matter if it's a hundred orcs or a single dragon or whatever. Um, all represented by one number as well, which is dead easy. I don't have anything to keep track of. <laughs> and then you just compare the two, and you, you take the a smaller number away from the larger number. The group that got the smaller number then takes the difference in those numbers as hits to be distributed amongst the play, uh, play characters. Ah, uh, okay. So that's Not basically... All the monsters. Yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> You're just presuming the players are going to lose. Did I, did I mention I, I rarely get to play this? I only GM. <laughs> um, Nick, there's no point in you trying to remember this. It will go straight out of your memory once again. We have been told this yeah. every single time we play. Yeah. I don't, I don't but, want it to displace acid base balance at the moment. Well, the, the way to actually look at it is it's very much theatre of the mind because instead of... It's a two-minute long combat round, supposedly. Yeah. And if you stop and think about what's just happened then, you've all made your contribution to the fight, and then a load of damage comes at you, and it's kind of up to you how it gets spread out. So if you want to say, right, the wizard isn't going to be taking all of this, you know, which so I'll take more of that, that's kind of your guys leapt in front to try and defend him, or whatever, you can easily extrapolate that from the simple numbers, really. It reminds me a lot of some of the things you get in indie games now, where what, yeah. what you get in something like Hero Quest is basically, I won this conflict, or mm-hmm. I just barely yeah. won this conflict. And if you want more detail, you can then narrate that, but the system just gives you the, the, the high-level result. Well, I yeah, would say my, my instinct would be to dislike that kind of statistical approach, because I prefer... I would say I'm a player that prefers the kind of granularity, but I must say, having played Tunnels and Trolls quite a few times now, I wouldn't... I, it doesn't feel like that was a very abstract approach to me. It still still felt like I was involved and it was dynamic and the combat. So, yeah. I, I do I, wonder that whether that's my... the fact that John was GMing for us. That may well Not be really, it. John is an excellent GM. No, I, I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think actually, I think it it goes into, I mean, I think there are, there, there are, there are an awful lot of pluses for it. I think there's an awful lot of things. However, I think it, one thing I would say is it goes into the quite large pot that we have of the rules aren't so crap, we're not going to play this again. And I know yeah. that's kind of damning it with faint, faint praise, but it's one of these things where the rules haven't got in the way of the of the actual role-playing game. Yeah, you don't need to look a lot up, that is true. Despite that, I inevitably have to look something up. <laughs> well, yeah, but... It, but that's life, just me. But that's but life would be boring if we, you know, if, 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 if we didn't have a GM going, I could wig it, but I'm sure there actually is a rule for that. <laughs> yeah. There's no point winging things in a world where Roger has got access to the internet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let, let's be clear, this is why I only run Call of Cthulhu for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's one system, it's percentiles. Um, but actually, coming back to that combat, I think one of the things about it is it's, it's comfortable, it's comfortable in its abstractness. It's, yeah. deci- it's decided, you know what, this is a, this is not a 
person swinging sword at my head resolution system. This is a fight resolution system almost. I Although mean, it can be a person. I mean, if if you go one to one, it covers that. You could even go as far as you're wearing a bronze helmet, and it will tell you whether that's likely to take extra damage because it's bronze or you know sword break or whatever. Mm. Um, and it's not a hundred percent abstract in that he obviously looked at the D and D system and mm. said, "Why does armor make you harder to hit? That's ridiculous." So it's actually got armor has it takes off the damage. Mm. I think in the first edition it used to break very quickly. I can't quite. Wait, maybe it. Mark has something that you're a, I, you're a very good no, GM. Uh, Sorry, but no, please don't approach me. No, I actually do think I do think a lot of it's that. However, I was just thinking then the one time I think I've probably played it before you guys was actually as a um, arena com a gladiatorial arena combat. Right. Okay. And, and it just so happens. I don't know. I was quite drunk at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the game, you mean? Uh, I, well, I'm just, you know, in, in a how, way, how I'm. How can sl- that be? You know, I mean, I'm just, slightly surprised to hear it described as very abstract. Not because it isn't. I mean, the way you describe it, it is. It just, uh, it never felt like that as an end user to me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. it, it didn't feel abstract to me either. It kind of made sense. And you're yeah. right. I always wondered. I could never understand why wearing armour made you harder to hit. Yeah. And I think that's been one of my problems with D&D. But For that actually years, makes but... sense if you look at what they were trying to do because D and is far more abstract than people will let it be. Yeah. Yeah, if, as if you think of it as an armour safe as you could have in a games workshop game. Hmm. Yeah. As as people would keep saying, no no, they've hit you but the good armour has stopped it from being an effective hit. There's actually all manner of discussions mm, no. about what a, what a hit yeah. point actually exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> oh, why, why do my hit points go? I mean, in, t- in Tunnels and Trolls, I referred to hit points earlier. You don't have hit points. It's your constitution. Mm. You know, and if you're a spellcaster, uh, certainly I, I tend to play 5th edition and up to 5th, uh, you take the cost of casting a spell off your strength, mm. which I think gives it a really good dramatic twist as you end up running out, because you can cast as many times as you want, if mm. you know the and spell. And then you fall over. And, yeah. Or... Yeah. <laughs> that is a problem if you're playing a you tiny get... character with no strength whose single spell will kill him. Yeah, because if you get <laughs> to, <laughs> if you get to zero uh, strength, you have a heart attack and die. But, as long as you've gone down and you've actually got enough strength to cast the spell, the spell will still work. <laughs> Otherwise, if you spend too much, if you go negative, the spell doesn't work, you still die. But how do you get it back? How do you get your strength back? Yeah, you rest. Have a so sit you down. get 10 minutes. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Oh, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah and I like it. Make sense. it. It fits with a lot of the kind of source material stuff where using magic is physically exhausting. It's yeah. actually, the, the D&D system is much weirder in that it uses this it's fancian memorisation thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if they licked that straight out of Jack Vance, but that's yes. that's almost deliberately yes, weird in Jack Vance. It's a very strange way of doing it, that you memorise something and then forget it as soon well, as you cast it. Yeah, yeah, that might involve the fact that possibly I think he might have been on substances when he was writing some of those books. <laughs> well, I love, don't get me wrong, I flipping love Jack Vance. Yeah. The only other... As far as all the magic systems you could have picked, that is a, quite a strange one. But from a game point of view, yeah, it, but it's actually, if you think about it, it it's got things going for it. To go, yep, yeah. okay, you've used that, that, you've played that card, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And presumably, actually, that might well be why, because maybe 
you know, if you look at a wargaming point of view, you know, I'm just thinking of like spell cards in Warhammer and stuff like that. You play it, okay, it's, you've used it now. It does yeah. make sense. Yeah, like I, that. yeah it's, I mean, Adrian um, D is different now.
Maybe in 86, that was when I was petering out with my Savio game book thing as yeah, well, but I was know, well up if, into it. If, so if you've seen that. it on the shelf in your local friendly uh, uh, game store, um, one of the downsides with all that I remember um, going into, say, Fantasy World in um, Hanley and uh, bits and pieces like that was it kind of looked like a fanzine. <clears throat> right. Sure the, yeah, the rules quite often. Um, there were, you know, you had D and D that had the hardback and the bits and pieces, and then you kind of like had this sort of slightly dog-eared thing that was kind of generally in a plastic bag and, be, and took behind something else. Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons that Corgi thought, right, we'll put it. You know, we we yeah. do paperback novels, mm. so we'll put it as a paperback and get it in W. H. Smiths and on the shelves, yeah. and it'll be a hit. Yeah. And it helped, but they obviously had a lot left over because Flying Buffalo, when they'd run out of their big fifth edition books, they were selling, putting those in the boxes for years. Yeah, mm. it's interesting years. is that eighty six is the same year as the second tranche of the Dragon Warriors books. Right, which whereas I did get were, Dragon Ball, I got the first two Dragon Ball. Yeah, I mean, they were yeah, originally well, going to be a series of twelve. That was the plan, but yeah, after mm-hmm. they released the, the second trosh in this same year, and as you say, the game book boom was dying. It wasn't actually, producing a whole new bunch of role players in the numbers they'd hoped for, and so the sales on that were disappointing enough. They ne- they never produced books seven to twelve. And on top of that, you'd still got the actual role playing slump in America. TSR had had a huge. Mm. Problem with uh, sales collapsing, really. Mm. Uh, Pace Setter came and went. They went out of business in '86. Um, made up of people who got sacked from TSR, I think they were. And, <laughs> and Flying Buffalo in about '85 had basically put up all the role playing stuff for sale. The whole Blade division, which did Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes and so on. And the only thing they were probably going to be keeping, I think they said it was for contractual reasons was Tunnels and Trolls but nobody bought any of it they still kept just selling a few copies you know as, as people ordered them mm. and uh, a lot of companies went out of business because role playing went out of fashion for mm. a few years was this why was that D&D wise was that because that was like as I was getting into Second. role playing as the game books died I got into <clears throat> role playing it was, it was as they started doing all the Second edition. Uh, do you remember those? They were kind of like a uh, sort of. Um, oh, well, those not, complete not, books. The yeah, brown the complete, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brownie books. Yeah, brownie actually, that ones. was towards the end of my because it was just too much at that point. Strip mining the concepts. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that was a bit later on because um, I, I, I had a feeling that was eighty-eight. Was it that second 80s, edition yeah. came on? I don't. Yeah. But, okay, so it was just what, before I went to uni. Uh, so that's eight. That's would have been Wilderness Adventures and Dungeoneer's Guide. Yeah, they were around yeah. in 85, 86. But that's getting to the end of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons run and TSR going, right, we need a new version. And I'm pretty sure one of the reasons they needed a new version was because sales were just tailing off totally. Mm. They had, I mean, they'd, they'd sacked dozens of people. Because second edition, did that actually work then to revive it? Sorry, this is a segue. Because there were stacks yeah, of stuff did. came out for second yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, Forgotten it, Realms it, and it, all that. It really stuff. did. You also had um, second edition, uh, second or third edition Cthulhu coming out at around the same sort of time. Um, you also had. Uh, I had the first, Games Workshop first, edition edition around about that time. Yeah, which was the... yeah, first second edition GURPS. You also started having 
uh, third edition ring quest in, in, again including the games workshop um, stuff as a round again so there's quite a bit of before. stuff coming out Sort of no, um, not the Games Workshop stuff. The Games, no, the Games Workshop one came later, but that's just a repackaged Avalon, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. But it was just literally the case that the market was dropping. Really. They, they got the wrong market. Um, they were trying to follow it on from the things like Warlock of Fire Mountain, Final Fantasy, so they were putting it in that format and putting it yeah, in the bookshop. And, and that was tailing off. Meanwhile, in America... Flying Buffalo were basically... I think most of their full-time staff were cut back. Um, it became a kind of, you know, the guy in the back room. Um, you got Rick Loomis, you got somebody packing up orders and so on. And the kind of production department shrank down. They stopped their magazine and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so they weren't so, there to push the product any further no. elsewhere, really. So it but, languished. But people also weren't buying as many role-playing games at that time. No, not really. Except weirdly so, the Japanese. Um, there was yeah. a huge boom. Tunnels and Trolls is still incredibly popular in Japan because it was one of the first Western role-playing games that was translated in a popular series there mm-hmm. around that okay. time. Alright. Okay, so basically it then didn't change much. For no, and I think that's because years. it was just there was no push to change it because they, they were just stuck with it. They were just selling off old stock. Mm. <laughs> okay. So is it any more popular now than it was then? Yeah, because the internet. And they did a, they kickstarted a new edition. Is it more? But I still feels to me like quite a niche, slightly derided product. Well, I, I don't know what other game groups are doing these days. I mean, people mm. say things like, I want to try GURPS with my group, but they only want to play Pathfinder. And I've never been yeah. in a group, I've never been in a group that felt that strongly about a single system. So, I mean, I know they're no. out there, but I don't know what those guys are doing. Hmm. Most to play Pathfinder. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in a group. Fifth that, head now. And, and it has some massive D&D fans and they buy everything that comes out. And they oh, just them, like like making different characters. And, and when you book some out, the first thing they do is see what you know new characters they can make. And I think that's fine, but I don't want to have to buy all those books no, and remember all get, those yeah. things no, and learn all those things. Tunnels and trolls. You can put your character um, sheet on an index card. It doesn't yep. take. Yeah. <laughs> And, this is the sort of thing that think, attracted me. It was cheap and it was simple. These things are marketed at there, will we? To be honest, I've only played in the one game. Yep. Um, and as soon as I live in the same house, I'm better say I enjoyed it. But actually, <laughs> I did enjoy it. You know, I didn't have to remember loads of things. Admittedly, I wasn't playing a magic user or anything. But, oh, so, so that was you know. um, Beneath Dark Elm, wasn't it? Which is Scott Malthouse. Um, GM adventure because uh, in the past I used to just make yeah. up Tunnels and Trolls adventures and it's one of the reasons I liked it because I could just keep making stuff up and not having to worry about the rules too much mm. but more recently I have tried to run pre-done adventures um, to see what I could get out of them as well mm. so that was one that came out and I thought looked quite good had a bit of a sense of humour so how did you find that then Tina because it's very different from your D&D one yeah it's, it is did, very did, did you find yourself a bit adrift with the character or whatever? No, I mean, I was playing a dwarf and it was a fighter and you just 
approach it like you do any other game, really, in terms of what you want to do. I suppose the fact that I'm a bit rubbish about remembering rule systems um, and things like that means that I quite often go, oh, what is it I have to do now? And I mean, I still have to do that about Call of Cthulhu, and I've been playing that the longest. You know, so... Well, I'm just a bit shit at remembering rules. They're not important to everyday life, so they don't stick. Um, I know but I didn't would disagree about the <laughs> rules in everyday life. <laughs> well, yeah, but to be honest, it didn't. I wasn't worried. So if I sit down to play D and D with a new group of people, I am worried that I am not going to remember that I need to roll that dice and have that modifier and make sure I'm that close or that far away. You know, I don't have to remember all that. I, I think there's um, a smaller set of mechanical things you can do in, in yeah. TNT. And Definitely. R- yeah. r- rather than saying, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, you know, step forward and attack and that is a standard combat move. Yeah. You just say, okay, you just describe what you want to do. I'm going to do this. And the GM says, okay, that's a level two save versus dex. Yeah. yeah. That's why I found it not abstract in that I still felt I could play the same. Yeah. It's weird because I do feel like I like granularity, but it, it, it was nice not saying, I'm going to do a, a fighting withdrawal this time, which gives me a... Plus, yeah, well, uh, is my move enough to let me sort of work my way back yeah, through a, a yeah. fighting retreat yeah, to the door? Oh, yeah. no, you'll be, you'll be a yard short at the end of this one. Yeah, yeah it doesn't have loads of conditional things. I mean, mm. Mark, I'm sure, can share this one. Uh, with you know, With Pathfinder and stuff, which I play a lot, mm. Mm-hmm. Does you know? In many ways, I love the game, but boy, does it have a lot of conditional things oh, that apply right. to things that you have to remember. Yeah, um, and which I oh, always we've forget. Had, we, we've had a ten-minute diversion from the game to discuss a rule and to whether, as to whether that actually will work in that circumstance, mm-hmm. in that used in yeah. that way yes. against that opponent. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, yeah. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, You're the GM. Make a call on it. Perhaps our group's a bit atypical. I don't know whether we're more normal or... I don't know. I I think it's just one of those things, like, I like both, Mark clearly likes both, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, but but it also goes back to, and this is a conversation that we have had on many, many, many occasions, (laughs) is there are two different types of role players. One Mm. spelt R-O-L-E, one spelt R-O-L. And we are very much. That really? Oh Christ, yes, because we are so roles. It's untrue. We're um, not. We well, would, no, we're just, no, we just we fart really, about, aren't we? We really, really, really are. I, trust me, you have no idea how anal some people can be over this sort of stuff. Shim, you will back me up. I'm sure, 100 percent here. There are but people... we're not serious role heads. I, I don't want to talk yeah, about but, us but, too no, much. But... No, but, but, there, are, but yeah. there are people who basically, you know, and especially, I mean, Pathfinder is is quite a good example because um, you've obviously got the Pathfinder um, Society and stuff like that. And, you know, so you can actually go and go to an actual thing and you have um, your character and your character <clears> is balanced. Um, you know, if your character is X level, it is in theory balanced with such and such and such and such. And you can, and, you know, and, and there are people who will scrutinise your character to see the build, and um, you know, oh, oh. 
Oh, you oh, the word build makes me shudder. Yeah, oh, and there you go. You goodness see, me, I must say. Yeah, yeah like how? Yeah. What do you mean you haven't got your build planned out for the next seventeen levels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking about next bloody week. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll take a level of I don't know. That this, feels to me this, like the worst part of computer role playing games. Yes, but actual role. No, no, and 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 that's but they get enjoyment out of playing that. Yes, we don't. I, I would if I was playing a computer game. That's I find hmm. that interesting, but I don't, it doesn't work for me in a role-playing yeah. game. But. Like I, I sometimes find it interesting when I see new rules or whatever to go, oh, you could either, oh, you could make a character to do that and then quickly, you know, run something up in the head or, you know, jot something down. Or how would I build this thing and look at the ways you could do it? But when I'm actually playing a character, that's not, that's not what I tend to do. I'm surprised um, to find myself on the squishy end of the spectrum here. I thought I was more of a yeah. granular game. No, no, no. I must say. You talk yourself out of it. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask then? So, based on the slightly different, the differing methods of play, really, how one of the comments one of you guys made was it's the fact that it's a relatively death friendly system. <laughs> I agree with that, but now, I think I'm looking at it from a very different point of view. <laughs> is, that, is that everyone's experience of it? Because yes, Nick. Let's start with you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would strongly disagree with it. It's a very easy death. I, I must say, my character, my most. The GMs kill you. I got to the point where I was annoying myself with my own character. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's definitely now, outstayed his welcome. Had that character planned out with his whole career progression for another twelve levels, how would that amaze you feel? <laughs> Uh, at, at level three, you get Gadfly. <laughs> I w- I would say the first time I ever played anything like Tons of Trolls was when I first GM uh, when I first played with John because he invited um, uh, and you, Mark. We were in the same game, weren't we? Uh, probably. Yes, monsters, we were, uh, monsters. Oh, monster! Yes, where we. Uh, I Which is shock off people who don't know were... it. It's the same system, and it was from the same people, basically. Oh, I died in that game. <laughs> that was. Ah, the... but who were, who were you playing? Because people say, "Oh, tons no. of trolls." You've only no, got I three character that. classes, and you you know you can't. You haven't got any choices. I was playing but the Margo... character classes aren't the same as Margot the Lamia. You were yeah. a Lamia. Hello, darlings. I Amelia, was, you oh. may recall, was playing a Shoggoth. Shoggoth. Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you were playing a Dark Elf, were you, Mark? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm. I was yeah. playing a Dark Elf who basically... It was a very happy experience. So I hadn't... It was actually one of the first times I'd role-played for a while, because I, apart from gaming conventions, I just <laughs> it just died off for me. Mm. Um, so I, I suppose, yes, I died in that one, but it was a very happy experience. Um, Caragor... Dying. <laughs> my <laughs> leprechaun dying um, was, was was something was again, beyond time. Memorable. Uh, was again it was memorable. Joy, was again a joyous experience. Well, I think actually, I don't feel like John pulled any punches. Like when he came out of the first dungeon, Uncle, what was it Uncle, Uncle Underground. That was the. I think that was the first one I, I ran for you as a group. Was it? Putting aside monsters, monsters. Um, I think that's the first one I was in, so yeah. The first online one. And that was, and that was a lot of characters died there. And by chance, my character was, I think was the only one who made it out without dying, but that was, the fact that it's quite a death friendly system made that memorable, um, that he made it that far. But but having, I'm playing in a D&D game at the moment, and one of the guys, bearing in mind we've probably been playing for, five, six weeks now. 
We're only playing a couple of hours a week, but he's on his third character. Right, yeah, you're right. You know, so... And I no, think you just get someone to cast poor baby and you're fine. <laughs> I must say, mm. yeah, like, if you genuinely play first original D&D properly, that is much more death-friendly, I suppose I would argue. Yes. Uh, much well, more yeah, lethal. I would, Perhaps it? we should call it lethal rather than lethal. Well, <laughs> I'm going to... That was actually my phrase, and there is a reason I said death-friendly as okay. opposed to lethal, because I think the point is it, it's not about how likely your character is to die. Right. Strictly speaking. Um So, yes, there have been quite a few deaths in the things we've done. And, and I think that partly comes down to the fact that, you know, it's not trying to be Pathfinder. It's not trying to be you are always against a level appropriate, you know, fourth edition D&D, you're always encountering a level appropriate challenge and we've built in a bunch of padding so your character doesn't actually die. But a I... Level appropriate challenge. Those, oh, those, those, those are words that mean things. They are, specifically. And now from it's a call of Cthulhu Keeper. But also, I mean, I say death-friendly because part of the thing about it is, okay, your character dies... Here's a new character. You know, you can yeah. do that in Tunnels and Trolls. In it, and you know, again, it was, uh, you know, I played a character, they died in the second scenario we were doing and I got a new character. I mean, it's not a huge issue to produce a new character that you think will be fun. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Whereas in, in some games, you know, either it's quite onerous, maybe isn't a high, it? Yeah. high turnover game. Yeah, well, like the characters are so quick to generate, and they are because mm. it's just you know roll a few dice. Yeah, um, mostly d sixes except for the language table. But do you feel that that gives you enough to work with? You've got three character classes, and they're based on really whether or not you can use magic, or if you can use magic a bit. Those are the three. So even though one's called a warrior, if you wanted to say that he was actually a, a vicar. That's fine. You could do that. You know, he just can't use any magic. It's not quite the same as the way D and D does it. But it hasn't really got a skill system. Although Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls has added these talents and things in, where it, it kind of has now. But for up to fifth edition, as as we're generally playing it, you've got your um, languages that you're rolling up. You know that okay. Let's say you're a wizard and you get your all first level spells you get as a wizard. So you've got a little bit in the arsenal there, so to speak. Have you got enough to spark your imagination as to what you can do with the character? You've certainly got enough um, uh, kindred. You know, you can play a fairy or a leprechaun as well as the usual fair. Mm. So what do you think? Anyone? I, I would me, say... The simpler the better. Yeah, the, the system doesn't give you that stuff. Uh, but the system is honest that it's not giving you that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and so, so you know that you're going to have to make up a personality. So on. I, I, one of the things I often mm. say about GURPS, uh, is that you, you can get a character idea and then you can enshrine their personality in terms of the advantages and disadvantages you take, which yes. is, which is quite handy if, if you then, you know, don't play them for six months and then try to remember what they were like. Um, yeah, yeah I run into that. Uh, TNT obviously does not do that. Um, but, but unlike D&D where you've got enough variation that you might start thinking, yeah, okay, so I'm a bit like this or a bit like that. But it's not really going to get, it's not really going to say, you know, here is a reward for being honorable, except in very specific circumstances. Hmm. Uh, if, if you want to play a, a, an honorable fighter in TNT, that's fine. You, you don't expect a reward for it. No, well, you, you just do it. Not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And I suppose yeah. you do get those moments that come up where you've got a fairly broad character where a few of the specifics that you've got might seem weird. Let's say, just plucking something out of the air, that somebody rolled up that they can speak pachyderm, which may not seem very <laughs> useful. And then incredibly, and without the GM fudging anything, it turns into a critical moment where they can actually communicate with the thing attacking them. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that was genuinely really fun. That was that was in Captain yeah. the Troll, which was the one that Ken and Andre himself wrote, actually, a more recent adventure. Yeah, and and I I did feel like I mean obviously Caragor is a slight exception because Caragor is a like an iteration on a previous idea, uh, as I understand. Um, uh, yeah, I have played a Caragor before, haven't I? Yeah, but but I mean, I the... think even you know, even with Caragor, I felt like all our characters, we sort of we came in and it was like you know, my character was you know spherical elf, um, <laughs> and, and... the elevator pitch. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you do roll height and weight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was great. I loved Falthorn. I I was deeply saddened by his spoiler tragic death. Um, you know, but but you say tragic. Yeah, I mean, you know, it happens. Um, and then he was put in a tree. It was fun. Um, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, we all, we all bounced ideas off each other and all our characters work. developed yeah. during play from these very, very basic starting points. And that's yeah. great, actually. I, well, I, maybe I must say, cause I lost, after Car- having had Caragor for a long time, then I lost the next character very quickly. And then came in with a third character that I can barely remember. It was an elf, I think. An elf. I, the, when you're rolling characters in quick succession, I think the limitations of the variants in the system do become like... Uh, it does feel like you're playing... I mean, you can make it very different with the way you play it. And you can if put you your own chance, stamp on yeah. it. But, yeah... Um, but really, it comes down to, mm, okay, I've died off quite easily, so I'll tell you what, I'll have a, a dwarf this time, and I'll carry a really big mattock, because I've got a good chance of surviving there. <laughs> yeah, there comes if a they point, get yeah. double constitution. There probably would have been something like that. Yeah. I, I think the setting, or the implied setting, comes into that as well. I mean, a, a typical game I, I would run, I, I will admit I go for relatively high-detail settings, so... You know, if you want to be a fighter, then then I will give you a list of you know the, these are the sort of places fighters come from. These are the sort of fighters there are, it, and that that's the sort of style I like. But t- tunnels and trolls, if you want to say my guy's a barbarian from the frozen north, I I cannot think of a. a of, of a Tunnels and Trolls game in which somebody would say, ah, oh, but in this world there isn't a Frozen North, so you can't do that. No. Well, I, mean, I mean, there could be, but you'd presumably know about that in advance. It's, but, but the default, it, it as far as I... time where, yeah, it's, it's very generic. Is, yeah, the, it's not expected that the world is going to be laid out and mapped in excruciating detail. Not hmm. indeed at all. No. <laughs> no, you're quite right. Not if John's running there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, I, I you think can't that's an interesting. The world I came up with, it's, I, it's hard, I kept forgetting the way it was laid out. It's so hard for me <laughs> to divorce tunnels and trolls from John uh, because he's very particular. He's very particular. For instance, for me, like the wackiness, which like tunnels and trolls, the, the thing is, it's a bit silly. Um, whereas it really? through through John, that is a virtuoso kind of Monty Python thing. I can imagine that being a frustrating, wacky kind of, I don't know, bad National Lampoon's film. Is it at the worst. silly because 
that's the way John runs games? Or if somebody else was running it, would it be as silly? Well, it has spell titles for you know your classic ah, well, take that you fiend just, is just the attack to spell. That. But take that you fiend, you is you know this I, edition, why? right? The Corgi edition. They toned down some of the spell names because oh, they really? thought they were too silly. Well, it, it is the, a recurrent um, complaint. It's uh, definitely a recurrent complaint. The um, the spell book in this one is actually a little weird because I think they changed. Um, I've, I actually they changed poor baby. Oh yeah, um, exactly. The got, healing spell is poor baby. Uh, yes, it's called Poor Baby. Uh, and it's called, what is it called in here? Um, I can't even find it because they've changed the names. Uh, well, not famously, they had to change quite rightly, um, Yasamasa. No, they the didn't Hibis change that one. Well. They didn't! No, level two, it's still Yasamasa. And I think they didn't understand it because I didn't. When I first met Ken, he actually mentioned it to me and I still didn't know what Yasamasa was on about. Now, in the new edition, Yes. They change that. Right, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It is, right. you know, it, it is considered quite offensive, so that's fine. If you don't get it, I'm afraid you'll just have to look it up, because I'm not going to explain it. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, instead of um, Poor Baby, you've got Restoration in the Corgi edition. Uh. But they've still got Take That You Fiend. You know, that's okay. Oh. Revelation instead of... Oh, there it is. Now, I, you know, <laughs> I love... The daftness of instead of going magic missile. Well, I'm going to ask: is, is that what you? Is yeah. that what attracted you to TNT, John? Or did Quite you? A bit of it, yeah. yeah. If I'm honest, it doesn't take itself too seriously. <laughs> so, but could you play something serious with it? I mean, let's say you change the the spell names. What's silly about the game in itself? Or no. you, as you go up in levels, you increase your actual attributes. That can get silly. You can you can explain that away, can't you? Pathfinder I, does that, you know. Yeah, right. I, I I go back to it. It's it's part of quite a big stable of our games where the rule system isn't that shit. Yeah, right. and, and it's and not I, inherent I, in the rule system, is it? This yeah. it doesn't, and maybe that's why it doesn't feel I, forced. I don't know. I don't go wild over the rule system, but in no way, shape, or form has it in any way stopped me. Playing a character that I en- I enjoy playing. Would it be a good intro game system for somebody, considering cost and layout as well as actual ease of play and ease of building characters? When I consider compare it to say D and D, which to me always seems to have millions of books. I know it does, and, and I know they do. You know, edition box, a box edition of starting up players and stuff like that but i think it would be quite simple yeah. I, th- I think i think as a rule system goes exactly as uh, as john was saying the fact that you have your team versus their team and kind of that's it you know you're rolling one set of dice between, you know uh, between the two hmm. um and yes i mean Again, John, I think, I mean, thinking back on it, one of the things you were doing was turning around saying, right, okay, oh, okay, you're making, you're putting yourself in this place. Okay, I'm going to give you this bonus and this bonus, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But I don't think mm-hmm. that's actually necessarily, I think that was probably you adding your finesse over the top of it, if you will. Yeah, but that, that's sort of the kind of things they talked about in magazine articles and stuff at the time. Cause yeah. it's got a few mechanical quirks. 
Um, it's perfectly possible for two evenly matched fighters never to be able to hit one another and actually cause any damage because they get double their armor bonus. Mm. So if they're wearing big enough armor, they can't hurt each other. Yeah. And that was, 5th edition, that was known very early on and spoken about in their own magazine. Every game's got little quirks like that. Sure, yeah, so a, sure a character sure could, Murphy's Law as well. Murphy's Law, yeah, character could potentially sprint at 118 miles an hour. That's fine. I mean, he doesn't come up that much. <laughs> right? It's a rare circumstance. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, rather sadly, I can think of the graphic for that as well. <laughs> I, I yeah, do. Sergeant, I, I think. Having, having a quick poke at drive through RPG, uh, the 5th edition PDF is currently $7. Yeah, which and there are the, yeah. there are yeah. cut down introductory, um, mm. like uh, free RPG day versions and that kind of stuff. So these days, I think it's actually a little bit different because lots of games have quick start versions. Mm. Yeah. So yes, I think today it is. But go back before the sort of PDF revolution and all that, and it was very often mentioned as an introductory game. And one of the reasons is because you didn't have to get a group of people together to play it. You could mm. learn to play. On your own, pick hmm? up a copy of Buffalo Castle or Death Trap Equalizer or Sewers of Oblivion or whatever it was you wanted to do, and uh, you know, or City of Terror, which is a huge city adventure, which is really involved. Um, you could play that on your own, and there's a lot, lot of replayability in some of those. Okay, so can, would you use it? Could you use the rule system on a different type of game? So not your standard fantasy hack and slash type thing, but maybe something, maybe something more modern. Something yeah. like mercenary spies and privateers. I thought that might come up. <laughs> well, that, I mean that's based on tunnels and trolls, and it's primarily kind of thirties, forties sort of pulp and noir mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But actually, it does, you know, it does James Bond style stuff, and um, they've just redone that. Um, in what is just a kind of almost superficially brought up to date version with a bit more material, but it's. It I have my copy upstairs. Thank oh, you. Cool. I I would like to run that at some point. Excellent. So yeah, w- would it be fair to say basically strip off the magic, add a bit of a skill system? Yeah, yeah. Why strip off the magic? Well, it's, well, it's, it's, it's not in the book. I'm sure you could put it back. Okay, right. you but, could, yeah. and in fact, um, Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes has um, a psionics system because it's considered. You know, telepathy. That makes much so more sense. It definitely fits in better. Well, it fits in the kind of the Avengers and all those kind mm. of um, spy-fi things. All the shadow and things like that. Yeah. 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 So you've got that, but there is a section in there called Tunnels and Thompsons about combining <laughs> tunnels and trolls. And it's, oh. it basically says how to do it. And they've made changes. Yes, he's put a skill system in. He's also mm. reduced how long combat rounds are. And you don't get characters with such inflated stats. So it's not... You've taken Tunnels and Trolls and you've basically said, well, let's just put guns in it. Because, in fact, it had guns in the, in the fantasy <laughs> version as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the Generally amount of, by of the tweaking penguins, is minimal. Mm. Okay. So, something that struck me about it is I do think there are some genres that it would do certainly better than I think D&D would. So, for example, the the kind of either fantasy or, you know, epic um stories where you tend to have a very small group of heroes facing simultaneously off against large numbers of enemies, actually the combat mechanics in Tunnels and Trolls handle that much better than something like D&D, where you're slogging individually through a bunch of goblins. To a point, you still have to 
to say as a GM, you would still have to say, right, you're in this part of the battle. Mm. You know, if you're at the Battle of Five Armies, you're, oh, yeah. you're yeah. Not taking on all of them, because otherwise <laughs> you'll die. You're dead. The number yeah. of, of yeah. the GM would just say, right, your average roll for this party, I'm not going to roll it, but the average mm. roll would be this, and you've comp- your maximum is this, you're dead. I bet so, GURPS has got but if you think, there, uh, yeah. has. Yeah. 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 But, but if you think about, you know, 300, uh, lots of swashbuckling things, where you've got, you know, a couple of swashbucklers versus, you know, 30 guards... And they're just a lot more skilled. And, and you can, you can defeat you them all. represent those 30 guards by a single number. Mm. The monster rating works for a horde of rats or a, you know, Tiamat, whatever you want it to be. Or Benny the Chogoth. Mm. Um, no, I think I'd have, I forget, I forget what his, uh, monster rating converted as, but it was quite high. It was my... stupid. It was my god, how high is that number? That, <laughs> my that, god, Finny, I well. worry, I would worry about that being described to me that, Boiling all this down to a single number basically makes them unremarkable and uninteresting. Uh, but actually, but the way it plays them, doesn't feel like that. Because, yeah, yeah. again, uh, that goes back to me being tied up with you as the GM. And I, I'd be interested to play it with a, a different GM and see what the feel was. I played but, with Kent and Andrew once and got through about five characters in as many minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, I suspect, you know, if any of us played with Gary Gygax, it'd be an interesting thing. Particularly, he's been dead for a few years now. <laughs> I, I suspect one, one, time, of, Gary. one of the things you get from uh, that is, yes, if, if you make it a straight-up fight, then you've got my dice versus your dice, and you know how that's yeah. going to go. Yeah. But we, and yeah, and, and, and that, that's incentive to go and do, do something clever instead. Yeah, yes. yeah, because that's an all-or-nothing kind of scenario, isn't it? It's exactly. like kind of, yeah. Whereas in something, I don't know, like Call of Cthulhu D and D, you've got rounds of combat, and therefore you can pull it back. And there's also a bit more of a chance to leg it at some point if if it's not going well, your way. Yeah, I mean, if, if you say you want to leg it, in you know. If you said, right, we're going to leg it, fine, you're probably going to get hit, but you might survive. But if you, if you said, well, Luke, we're going to do this, we're going to work our way towards that section of rocks, fighting together in a fighting retreat and so on, I'd say, okay, I'll tell you what, well, who's got the highest charisma in the party? You know, you make a second level saving roll, and if so, you can, you can do that, and I'll let you make a party roll. Everyone can make a roll, see if they get hit and lose anything in the, the process. You just use the saving roll mechanic to mm. basically fudge anything. You know, did, uh, I'm having a revelation. Yeah. I'm yeah. having a revelation I've got old because I've started to realise yes. 7th edition Call of Cthulhu. I'm like, why make it complicated like that? I don't understand. And I must say, the thought of me saying that to a GM and them saying, well, have you got the sidestep uh, trait? <laughs> I feel like, that's just what I want to do. I, I must admit, maybe I'm... I'm Finally, gravitating towards the this is the why really this is why the the old school Renaissance came about in like two thousand five to eight. It sort of really appeared and took off because a lot of nostalgic people were suddenly in their forties <laughs> oh and God. started. Oh why why is it costing me sixty quid to buy a book and that's only one of the books I need. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, well, this is complicated. I don't want to read this much. I've got a full-time job. You know, mm. I'm not in college. Full-time job, family, other hobbies, yeah. and you want me to read a hundred and whatever pages. Yeah, I've got, I've got six streaming subscriptions to my television, and I'm 
not getting a chance to watch anyway. <laughs> so they they went back to mm. original D and D basically and said, "Shit, this doesn't make any sense, does it?" So then they started to to talk about it and come up with, "Let's put modern values, production values, and readability, and so on." Mm. And they produce versions of D and D that you can play quite simply. Mm. And now. Original D&D, if you look at the sort of modern interpretations of it, is far more approachable and playable than it ever was when it was in print. Very, very oh, Christ, yeah. very, very good. Some mm. of it's still bonkers. Elves <laughs> can decide on a given day as to whether they're a magic user or a fighter. I'm worried fifth edition... I don't know why I'm worrying. It doesn't make any difference to me. seems to be reaching that point of supplements coming out to the point of too many and we're going to have to come up with a new edition. Well, if you you want to make money on it, that's what you have to do. I mean, I I think that's actually one of the problems. And we were talking earlier about uh, the the great role-playing die back in, in the late 80s. But I think part of the problem is if you sell people a core game book and you say this is what you need to make up your own adventures... You don't have That's an ongoing it, yeah. revenue stream unless you're selling that cool game book to more people. Well, don't yeah. forget that has, TSR has... didn't make an actual adventure till what was it, 78, was it? Mm-hmm. Or 77? The, it was another company, it was um, We Warriors. And TSR were adamant that they weren't going to do adventures. Um, Dungeons and Dragons was supposed people. to finish at book five, I think. They did do a book six. Because uh, I think they realised, you know what, actually, we could just sell people another book, couldn't we? <laughs> and the, they said, well, the whole point is for you to take this and play the game and come up with your own scenarios. You know, mm. we don't sell extra scenario books for the for the wargaming stuff. People put mm. things in magazines and you make up your own things. And from a business point of view, I think it finally got hammered through to Gary Gygax, because it was particularly him, Dave Arneson, although he worked mm. at TSR at one point, wasn't really involved in that side of things and wasn't that sort of person but it got through to him that people want to buy stuff for this game Mm. and you aren't providing it (laughs) and if you don't someone else will no matter how much you try to sue them So TSR, we're, we're very they down on role-playing companies, but we're very cruel to them because we like we, we're very stingy, basically, and they are, they have shaped a lot of our lives. But yeah, but they were also to... chaotic and fairly amateurish and, and really peculiar because they were doing something they didn't know with family and friends and people you'd just played in a war game with joining the company. Mm. I mean, they were yeah. they were meant. If you look at TSR's actual when, history, it's insane that they lasted as long as they when, did. When yeah. they do get professional and get organised, we really resent them. Like, <laughs> of course we do, yeah. because then it's no longer a hobby. Modern chaosium, dare I say. Anyway, let's not <laughs> open that can of worms. So is there nobody else? Is it all just FBI that have um, adventures and stuff for TNT? No, 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 lots of people Or is there, there um, lots of other If you go on to... No. I mean, nobody particularly big does it. Uh, back in the day, uh, Judges Guild did some. You could get Rat on a Stick, for example, or the toughest dungeon in the world. There was a company that published, um, was it Infinity Publications? They did Agent of Death, which was an expansion of a, uh, of adventures that appeared in White Dwarf, which they printed 
in a newspaper format, which was one of the stupidest decisions, I think, in <laughs> the history of publishing. Let's take something you have to constantly open and turn back and forth. It's a solo adventure, and let's print it on the flimsiest material we can find. Excellent. Uh, and there are still people, because of PDFs, of course, it's really easy for people to put stuff out. And there are lots of Tunnels and Trolls compatible things. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, b- I believe it's not a fully open system in that you still, no, have, you still have to talk to Flying Buffalo and get their agreement. Yeah, so you, to the mail, yeah. you touched on that, didn't you, Roger? It's, well, it's just not in terms an open of gaming system. there, there are now enough open gaming systems that, particularly if you, if you want to do something that's essentially dungeon basher, you've got a fairly wide choice of systems where you can just say, "Yeah, I'm going to write it for that." Yeah, and, and you probably write it for an OSR game, mm. either D and D or Swords and Wizardry, but not well, modern D and D, obviously. Actually, I mean, one thing I bring up that is, you know. Th- Tunnels and Trolls, I mean, just on the basis of what we've done, clearly isn't limited to just dungeon bashing. No, um, Ken actually wrote a superhero version of it that was hmm. published in his fanzine. Oh, I can yeah. imagine that working quite um, well. Let's see. But I mean, you know, even when we were, you know, the, the, sorry, I've forgotten his name, Beneath Dark Elms yeah. was only, I would say only a small portion of that was what I would consider actual dungeon bashing. Hmm. A lot really? of it was wandering around, talking to people, trying to work out how to interact with interesting things that we've discovered. Are you, John, are you saying that we should have just walked around and killed them? <laughs> okay. yeah. we, no, we, no, we just... went wrong. <laughs> no, I, I, well, you didn't go wrong. You did very well with it. Uh, <laughs> even if I didn't lose any of you in the fairy mound, which I was really hoping to. Yeah, uh, we weren't going that. Far yeah. too I know. Sorry. I need to be more subtle. Sure, you don't want to go to the fairy mound? Just this once. <laughs> Dang, you no. Leprechaun? No. <laughs> <laughs> did you expect um, a damn girl leprechaun in front of a werewolf? Uh, no, that's brilliant. no, that's brilliant. Yeah, no. Do you know? I I keep seeing people. It's the most memorable thing about the game. Dice fall where they may. Don't use a GM screen and so on. So, oh yeah, go on, I'll do that. So I let the dice fall where they may, and <laughs> wow. uh, your character got ripped in half and uh, totally disembowelled. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I was really really win, win, sick of Caragor by then. <laughs> no, no just, I, I think I think that that adventure to me that is a dungeon adventure, in that you look at the forest map. Well, it could be a dungeon. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. going along paths and things. You can't, you can't really go off track. Yes, you could hack your way through, but you'll just come out onto another path. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that is a key difference, though. Um, or, all right, my my experience of recent D and D is fairly middle, so I'm comparing this with early D and D. But the sort of adventures that I, that I played in in my dungeon bashing days were basically you come into a room and the thing that's there is essentially there to be killed. Probably. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's so stupendously powerful and tagged as such that you're going to have to do something clever to deal with it instead. But fundamentally, mostly it's there for a fight. And in the Tunnels and Trolls, we, we don't have that. We, we, this is one of the things that uh, Lou Pulsifer well, complained about in, uh, back, back in White Dwarf number two. <laughs> uh, where he said that there, there aren't standard monsters and, and, and you have to learn yeah, you have to learn anew each each game you play in. Yes, what a terrible thing that oh, is. There's no Lord. standard book of monsters problem. What was it you said about British people again? Uh, TNT is not really a serious <laughs> game, though this might not be for the British D&D players, because so few here play D&D in a serious vein. Uh, but the thing, thing I'm guessing at is when we come into a situation in Trolls and Trolls, we, we meet an old lady in the cottage who says she's a witch... We have essentially no contextual clues to say whether she is a daft old woman, whether she can eat us for breakfast, whether it's something uh, in between. 
And regardless uh, of which of those it is, how we want to interact with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then yeah. I, do, I, I keep That's coming back to how much of that is John and how much is TNT. I, uh, well, and in that case, how much is the pre-published... You know, and how much is the pre Because yeah. I, I, I suppose I would... I am not a fan of kind of <sighs> surrealistic whimsy uh, a la Alice in, Alice in Wonderland. I just, it doesn't <coughs> do you know, very Gaga little wrote to Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. I might inflict them on you at some point. Um, but I, I did really enjoy Beneath Dark Elves. <laughs> they actually, they actually and, work quite well, actually. Surprisingly, but I, what you think. Well, I'd be interested in having that filtered through a not... John's sense of humour. I'm sorry to keep going back to that, mm. but I, I just, yeah. I, 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 I suspect I wouldn't enjoy it so much. Maybe. So we're looking forward to you running that, Mark. Thanks. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I Next mean, that said, forgetting future, forgotten futures. I have. Um, we, we've all enjoyed that with different GMs. Mm. I don't know. None of, none of the both. rest of us. Has anyone else run or thought of running TNT? I don't think so. No. I am. Um, Tentatively insane thoughts of running TNT mm. um, because I have enjoyed it, um, and so one of the things that uh, I think we haven't really talked about yet is in terms of the the inspirations for it. You know, um, cause, uh, yeah, it's sword and sorcery, but it's not just sword and sorcery. It's, I mean, in terms of the source material that he's drawing on, yeah. Um, well, what do the you think is the source material? Well, although it doesn't have a, a an appendix N listing mm. of all the books and so on, you know. It's so bitter. Uh, I'm not bitter, it's just, you know, like <laughs> people treat appendix N like it's holy writ. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. I'm convinced that a lot of it is just Gary Eric sitting down, you know, blank page, turn around and look at his bookshelf and went, oh, put that one down. Hmm. It, it, it was the the paperbacks and things that you, you'd got and the anthology magazines and comics as well. There's a lot of comics in there, let's be honest, um, that were very much the same sort of thing that inspired D&D. Yeah, but um, put through Dave a prism, really. Yeah, Dave, Dave, well, Dave Arnest was a totally different prism to put things through than Gary Gygax. Gary Gygax mm. was the man who could actually make D&D happen as a product. Yeah. Mm. Dave Arneson, bless him, who I, th- I think had many, many um, positive qualities as a person and was probably much more my sort of GM and, and player. And even though he was a war gamer, particularly a naval war gamer, um, he was much that more the kind of sort of woolly um, role play type and, and interpret things on the fly, make a note of it for next time. Than Gygax, who who did seem to make things much more um, rigid and put things down, and he was very good at collaborating with people, and that's how you ended up with it being a published product. Because mm. it's notable that when Dave Arneson worked at TSR, um, you know, sod all came out. So you've got kind of conflicting ways of doing things from the start there. Mm. And I think you've also got that when you get to 5th edition and you've got Kent and Andre's way of doing things up against uh, Liz Danforth's editorial and creative side. Mm. So is Kent and Andre kind of the... Oh, I don't want to characterize, but is he the sort of wacky one that would do all the... Uh, and Liz was the restraining influence. Is that how it would... Um, she tried to desperately channel him into... God, I'm not... I'm not I, don't, I don't know either of them very well. Okay. No, and I don't, I don't know enough of the, the history to, to, to give more than my impression which is that um, 
it's a lot of the thing you get sometimes with an author and an editor. That the editor makes some very good decisions looked at objectively as a, as a reader of something, but they don't necessarily sit well with the author. They just don't have to grudgingly accept them. And I think there were a few things in there that um, were either like that or later Ken kind of changed his mind and said, oh, I'd rather do it this way. Although one thing I love about TNT is frequently it will say, here's how we used to do it in previous editions, this is how we do it now. We prefer the new way, but if you want to do it the old way, that's fine. And it says this in several occasions, and it still says it in Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls. Mm. Good. Yeah, I suppose a lot of, yeah. There's nothing actually stopping you doing that with any new edition of anything. But yeah, how I, often I, do they say, this is what the rule used to be, and yeah. we've changed it? All and right. you can look at it and say, ah, right, suddenly you're understanding a bit of game design. Why I, did they change that then? Also, I think uh, at least be, people who came in about when I did with you know, early 80s D&D, mm. That was very much the Gygaxian approach, um, because it, it was what he was allowing to be published at the time. And that was very much, here are the rules. Yeah, and, and, and you've and, also and, got and, tournaments and, are, and so on. So it was yeah, more like a, a requirement at that point, oh, that Christ, it was, it was God, updated was to, these are the official rules in this year. Mm. Mm. I mean, as I've far act- as influences and so on... <laughs> Even if you look at Appendix N and the the sort of denial that Tolkien had much to do with it, I think that was just to avoid a lawsuit. Because if you look at original D&D up until the sixth printing of it, it still had a load of references to Balrogs and Hobbits and Ents and all sorts. Yeah. Um, that's how you know what which which book you've got and how valuable it is. They're more valuable <laughs> the more copyright infringement they've got in them. See, because... From you know, from my limited experience of TNT, one thing that strikes me as potentially different is it feels to me a lot more influenced by well, comic fantasy. Yeah, if you like, and and as I say, comics, I think. Yeah, um, and I wonder if part of the reason that you know it hasn't caught on as much in the uh, you know in the UK US that it hasn't got. You know that it's been sneered at. I wonder if it's partly. I I feel like that genre compared to non-comic fantasy, if you like, kind of is in the same position. So, it's, okay, mm-hmm. so sort of, but I mean, I'm sure. Um, shall I put it this way? The slightly older members of the thing. When we were in our early teens, there wasn't fantasy, or rather, there was. But you're talking Tolkien, Mm. you're talking Terry Brooks, you're talking Fritz Lieber, um, Ah. you're talking uh, the Conan stuff was probably just about Mm. being... They they were reassuring, yeah. that was out in the the 60s, but yeah, Yeah. there was a bit of a drop-off in the 70s and it all came out. Not being funny about it, no. Um, Yeah, it was around. I I think there's more more than you're remembering, you know. I okay. think go, going but, to the... what, what what you didn't have was what the compilers of the Encyclopedia of Fantasy internally described as rote fant, and then they were told it they had to use something more popular, so they called it genre fantasy. Basically, <laughs> the, the, the stuff that is in effect a D and D campaign write up, or could be. Yeah. Uh, I imagine someone writing up a role playing campaign. There was lot, there was a lot of very wide ranging fantasy. That you know would have its own specific world and do its own specific things and then end. There, mm. there wasn't the general purpose fantasy land that the reader would instantly recognise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's also the difference, isn't there, between I suppose reading a book 
and reading a comic. So, or, um, yeah, and even, even up until like 10 years ago, even now, in fact, some people still look down on you if you read comics. Yeah, well, the it's, Discworld it's graphic novel was a Discworld it? big comic, it was described yeah. as. So, and, and well, no, Alan Will only... hated the term graphic novel. Really. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it is a more recent acceptance. Yeah, that... I... Well, it's I don't watch. Decent, Watchmen came decent. out in the eighties. Eighty six. Yeah, 80, I, I, yeah, yeah. As, as a collected thing, I, I would sorry, have to I, say that honestly, the looking singles. down on things and sneering at it. Firstly, you've got it didn't come first. It's an obvious rip off. It's got a similar sort of name, mm. which obviously nobody did after that. Good heavens, bunnies and burrows. Um, <laughs> I mean, how many games were something and something? Yeah, it, it's just a standard. Gag, really, now, and people just do it deliberately. Call of Cthulhu is very good. Yeah, well, it's not Call and Cthulhu, is it? Uh, <laughs> Rune and Quest. And yeah. Tales and Trolls, incidentally, was probably the first Cthulhu game. <laughs> because there was a, an article called the Cthulhu, uh, the Lovecraft variant in. Hang on, weren't so... the Cthulhu gods in D&D? That was later. Uh, that, that was later, yeah. But that. Dietes, Dietes no, and Demigods was quite late. Uh, no, it was 1980, I think. The original yeah, I know. But the the difference there is that's putting Cthulhu into a fantasy game. The Lovecraft variant turned Tunnels and Trolls into a 1920s. Oh, really? And it it was acknowledged as an influence by Sandy Peterson, so it's fairly canon that it you know he had seen that it before did, yeah. the thing came out. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a weird little thing. But mm, I, I do think it's an important factor in in it not being. Big and becoming what D and D was, it didn't come first. So you got to push for people who who'd found the other game first, and it was distributed better, more mm. quickly. You've got snobbery on a number of levels, and I think we were all guilty of it at some point about something. But generally speaking, if you've got a game that's really hard to understand and different, and you've particularly got um, high school and college age people. Who were really getting into it? Mm. They like to latch onto that. It's a it's a thing that that's theirs. And if yeah. somebody comes along and says, "Well, you can do the same thing, but like this, it's easy. Everybody could do it." It's childish. Look at the stupid spell names. And you can see this when you you then had the D and D split. You get the basic set, and then what comes out? Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Mm. And then for years, it's D&D running alongside AD&D with similar, but not quite the same rules. d is simplified and it's actually much more like the original. Gamers are notoriously inclusive and and non-cliquey, aren't they? Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Most to AD&D players, they were always Mm -hmm. sneering and looking down on people who played D&D. That was for kids. Not just, that's for a slightly different style of play. That's for a looser more interpretive style of play where you don't want to have weapon speeds or whatever it happens to be. Mm. It, it no, was kids. Just, it you was... could dismiss it straight away. And but that was, trolls... in their defence, that was very much pushed by TSR by calling it advanced. Yeah, exactly. because, because Gary wanted people to buy the game that was just his game rather than the one yeah. he had to share. The, I, well, I know the yeah. prominent, but they, they pushed it in that way, didn't they? The, the, I, I this think certainly didn't tell things. This is a better game. I, I think you could also add to that, um, particularly... Uh, Remembering what, what I was like as a teenage boy, and I'm quite glad none of you knew me then. Um, <laughs> the humour works directly Fake against him. He's either. only 17 now. <laughs> yes, the humour does work. Uh, because well, I, I... Uh, at least when when I was discovering role playing games, 
I, I, I treated them as a, as a terribly serious thing. Mm. And yeah, all right, there is very little humour in D and D of of that era. And well, also, except I'm for the, not... they're actually cartoons. Yeah, well, yeah, cartoon, oh, cartoons oh, are set yeah. aside; they're separate. Humour is all through T and T. Well, also, I think it feels to me as quite an American humour. You know, we do we, British humour, like Warhammer, is actually shot through with a streak of British humour. You know, the whole kind of pretty dark, grim, gritty. You know, it's just that kind of, and even the fighting fantasy book, which are pretty serious. I, it just feels to me like the humour didn't translate all that well to these shores, because it feels like a very Maybe. American kind of national lampoons kind of. I think uh, it is noticeable that the Steve Jackson US um, fighting fantasy book, I think Scorpion Swamp number eight was yes, the first one. It felt immediately totally different to all the others. Yes, mm. and at the time I didn't know why. And then I realised it wasn't the Steve Jackson I was thinking of. Exactly. That was author. very confusing. Like, oh, okay, it's a different author. But in fact, I think it's it, it's an element of that. He came from a, from an American game design tradition and made a, a totally different style of game book in a way, much more like the other stuff that he did with Car Wars and things like that. Mm. So it it may be something like that. Nick. Yeah, that there's a I... there's a style of of uh, humour and so on which is. Just a little bit different. It's not, you know, it's not completely unfathomable or whatever. Uh, but perhaps it's not expected. It's not done in the same way. It's not yeah. quite as grim. Um, grim as would be, yeah. I what, yeah. <laughs> you see, I think uh, I may be something of an anomaly because, like, I was a big fan of Craigshaw Gardner stuff oh, yes, from, from the library, yeah. and you know, Eric Flint and. Uh, I, I like my comic fantasy and similar. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons why I quite enjoy the style of TNT. That sort of stuff wasn't as common in the 70s, certainly. The 80s was a big boom. I, I was I was just yeah. double checking the dates and I was going, oh, Craig Shogarden is late 80s. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Discord, so, of course, starts in 84, I think. Mm. Um, possibly 83. I got, thro- I got thrown out of. Uh, Stafford WS for uh, W.H. Smiths rather uh, for laughing so much I actually knocked over uh, <laughs> one of their display stands uh, however they let me buy a curl of magic um, <laughs> just, just the get out of... I'd like to buy something buy something then get out <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I don't want to be heretical I never found Terry Pratchett very Funny. I think he's a great writer. I never thought. Not like oh, Douglas no. Adams is funny. Uh, no, just I can still remember just the glee of reading a Colour of Magic. And was Colour was of... it that bit about the sort of man who would stand <laughs> on a hill in <laughs> yeah, thunderstorm wearing copper of... armor and shouting, <laughs> "All gods, gods are bastards!" Bastard. Yes. yes, was it See, that line? <laughs> it was yes. indeed. Yes, it might well. And I actually got wow, you were treating that place like a library. It's <laughs> quite a way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was only about four or five pages in. So, uh, uh, but yeah, um, they, they had a big, they had a big stand of various bits and pieces, and I fell against it. Yeah, we we are we running <laughs> short of time. Are we are we going to make well, this I'm, two parts? I'm keeping or an eye on it. Or so we that want was to do some summaries. When where I was going to ask when. We've I mean, there's no actual purpose past, to these, so. so we don't have to cover anything. You know. <laughs> yeah. we've, should, we've gone through an awful lot of the, the things that were mentioned on is the list. Is there anything we've missed? The, the main things you've missed really are um, what contributes the distinct flavour of TNT versus other 
dungeon themed games. We've kind of covered that. So I think we've probably kind of covered it in terms of the simplicity of the rules I suppose. system and stuff like that. And also the fact that the inbuilt humour um, yeah, is there. That... And actually, I would the other thing I would say, and the one thing we've, we've kind of touched on a lot, but we haven't actually probably talked about too much. Um, you could run it as a so because the because of the way the rules work, you could run it as a solo game. Hmm. Yeah, and and, actually, and it had a very extensive solo. Yeah, and, and and that's basically from what I remember from from from, from um, seeing it in the eighties. Um, it had that slightly. It never had quite a. It, it had a cardboard front, but it was never particularly glossy. Oh no, they all. were matte print in two colour. Matte prints, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but you, but but I remember it was you know for solo adventure, solo adventure, solo adventure, and that's kind of I, again. I'm 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 thinking back now to uh, Bagnalls in Stafford, or <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, Bagnalls. They had one of yeah. those in Hanley as well. Yeah, <laughs> but again, you know, sort of like you know, really early. You know, sort of buying the you know buying the bits and pieces from, from, from just as I got into D and D, and it was one of the things where you looked at it and went, "Oh, okay," put it down because if you were going to go for if, if it was a choice between that or a judge's guild, which were kind of very similar in 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 their bits and pieces, judge's guild was at least D and D. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. But the solo play thing is. I, I don't have I have I missed the fact that you can do solo play in D and D. I don't know. Well, you can. They put out. Uh, God, they did all kinds of weird things trying to sell solo modules, yeah. including magic lenses so that you couldn't get spoilers because you had to put the lens over the map and whatever. <laughs> oh my God. Um, invisible ink okay. pens. I think that was the one that tied in with the toy toys they did with Warduke. I never really. I'll be conflating a couple there, but Call yeah, of Cthulhu did some very successful so games. The ones that Matthew Costello wrote yeah. that are all being reissued now, and, and mm. they're doing very well now because we're all locked down and can't do anything. I, I think <laughs> yeah. it's fair to say TNT has, has okay. had solo adventures pretty much from the beginning. Seventy-six, yeah. right, okay. um, and if, in terms of the solo adventure, uh, it was invented for Tunnels and Trolls. Yes, that kind of programmed. Uh, sort of learning it was really did exist before it, it, it started it with the surrealists and mostly existed in terms of uh, US army manuals yeah. there was a kind of sort of program training thing where you could make the right or wrong decisions and I think that was how the guy who came up with the idea and mentioned it to uh, Rick Loomis came up with it so well you could just you could run one of these games just like that couldn't you so they wrote Buffalo Castle that came out in seventy six. It's, it's actually free to play on the web. Buffalo mm. Castle. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I have. Played. So the, I think the only other question is, um, so what media would convert well to Tunnels and Trolls rather than say D and D? Yeah. So, so, so we went. So, so we talked about uh, mercenary spies and private eyes. Yeah. Um, which kind? And the the idea of that was basically any, anything from you know Agatha Christie to James Bond. Mm, very, yeah. very much the same sort of space that I like running games in. So I might, I might give fact, that a try sometime. It, it's got a Cthulhu, yeah. uh, a strong Cthulhu element to it. If you read uh, Stormhaven, the supplement for it, the adventure, mm. um, there is there is actually an unpublished science fiction version of Tunnels and Trolls. I was going to ask if there was a sci-fi version. The manuscript exists. Apparently, Mike um, 
Mike Stackpole found it a few years ago. <laughs> but, unfortunately, it includes uh, some of the things from Fred Saberhagen's Berserker series of books. Oh, yeah. And they did, Flying Buffalo did a board game of Berserker, and they used Berserker in their uh, web play-by-mail, which web the role-playing game was going to be using that universe. So there is some problem that the estate of Fred Saberhagen would, wouldn't be that okay. easy to negotiate with now, unfortunately, and it will probably never see the light of day. Okay. Fair enough. And the only other thing, really, that no, we've not, not covered really is, mm. what, would you, what would you like to see done in some controls that hasn't been? So, maybe a sci-fi version, perhaps. But... There is a sci-fi version, unofficially, yeah. kind of. <laughs> Still, it's out there in PDF. Um, can't remember which company did it, but uh, mm-hmm. Tom Loney, I think, is the guy who wrote it. Um, sort of far future version of Troll World. I, mean, I don't know. For me, I don't need it to be something else. If, you know, if, if I want to play a sci-fi game, I've got Traveller or something. So I think. Sorry, this is another one of mine. Uh, I think I was thinking more like you know either are the you know specific types of stories or adventures that you think haven't been done yet or you know would you like to see you know setting books like some other games have that you know do offer here is a world with stuff already in it if you want to use that when you really get down to them and they kind of have got bits of that in the catalyst system but they're not specific songs and draws when you've got a system this simple um why do you need to restrict yourself to things that have been made for it with the stats in why not just say, oh, that's a really interesting looking setting book for D&D or for Tales of the Floating Vagabond or for um, Rollmaster oh, or whatever. You said the words. <laughs> the cursed <laughs> you know, words. Or whatever. Why don't I just take that or just that book I've read and mm. slap some very simple rules on it? It's like, really? That was a big monster they were up against in that trilogy of uh, fantasy books I've just just read. How am I going to model that? Oh, gosh, let's give it a monster rating of 250. There you go, I've done that now. So, do I need a specific thing telling me all about it? You can get a lot of uh, fantasy stories and things. The publishers will do a sort of an atlas of the world or a gazetteer of it. Why not just use those? Yeah. Okay. I've got a question for you kind of on that then, John. Could you play... Um, Empire of the Petal Throne using this system. Funny you should say that because I have long thought about doing it. Uh. <laughs> um, the only thing I'll have to do is re- redo the magic really, but it's just I don't know if it's worth the the effort because Empire of the Petal Throne is a straightforward system. Which basically, one? Which one? Actual yeah. Empire, Empire of the Petal Throne, the system. Uh, I mean, that's basically um, uh, like a workable version of first edition D&D. Right. Hmm. So the very first more. one. Yeah, there's not much more to it. Um, or Bethorm, the, the most recent one, is a more slightly more modern setting uh, system and works very well. I just don't know what I'd have the... Well, let's be honest, I can't be asked. Somebody... <laughs> I was, I was waiting for it. But really, why do I need to do that? You know, I can just go, well, I've already got this book, I'll use that one. Yeah. I, I really admire yeah. people who put the effort in, but those days are gone for me. The most I ever did was twerps anyway. I mean, I, I didn't exactly <laughs> type up a few things and send them to the publisher. And I would uh, like to briefly raise uh, Bantam Leap. To Bantam raise Leap. it to what? 
Just, 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 just throwing it out there. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. I yes, Bantam Leap tra- was, a, was a supplement I wrote of time travelling chickens that was never published. Can't, can't imagine. <laughs> I still, I, I still plan to actually run that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's about uh, Dr. Samuel Peckett. Um, who... Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I'm sure we can find some more. Come on, there must be more puns in there somewhere. Yeah, there are. So, right. it, it, <laughs> I can't I imagine why you associate with the kind of level of TNT humour. <laughs> yeah, can well, I say what I feel TNT really needs is some Robin D. Laws action on it? Yeah. Well, no. many of his books are applicable to all role-playing games and circumstances. Well, yes, unless you burn them all in a ritual. <laughs> okay, and on that note, mate, thank you. Um, <laughs> Jim, Roger, Mark, anything else you want to add? Um, other than, I really enjoy enjoy playing it, but I go mm. back to the thing of it's just been John running it, and John has been running tunnels and trolls for quite a long time. Um, He's very old. Please stop. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, we enjoy the games that you know that that, 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 that that we get out of it. So, you know, yes, it's great. But I'm, I would go back to I think I can't remember who, who was saying it. Would we enjoy it quite as much if you weren't? Running it? <coughs> very easy way to find out. There is. I, I can't wait for you to say to that person. No, didn't enjoy no, it. No, it turns out. <laughs> it was John we like. <laughs> yeah. I will I will raise a hand, I will do that. Oh, Go for it. Well I I'm gonna oh. I, I will run mercenary spies and private eyes there we in go. twenty years when we finish doing Masks of Neon Attitude. Well yeah. Oh okay. and don't don't forget that our fill in game uh, is a gigantic pulp Cthulhu campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's only got to last till August. It's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that's probably a wrap on Tunnels and Trolls, but yeah. Yeah. horticulture. Thank you, Tim. Other games Andrew are available, but Liz really, Dental. why bother? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Thank you, Tina. That's, uh, that, that John's opinions are his own. Oh, all well. your opinions are your own. All I can say is... This some of mine got put in by space aliens, so... Yeah, this has been a lot a lot nicer than um, than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having watched, watched that Parish Council video earlier on today. You, know? you do not have worried. the authority. We're, we're, we are all pretty genteel people. We are here. pretty. Most of us are pretty. Except, I think you know who you are, but uh, most of us are pretty. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, so you... thank you very much for chairing this team. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Really well done, thank you, Tina. Madam Chairperson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, we all behave roughly. Can you bring the ice cream up? No, no, no. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you're closest I... to the freezer. I've got chocolate cake. Oh, fighting. Right, we're just wrapping it up there, guys. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to buy a book and get out. <laughs> thank you, Meryl. Uh, I very much enjoyed returning to Waterculture. Long, yeah. long may it uh, keep going. Keep going. And I, long I, may I it keep going. Learning, learning how many copies of Trolls and Trolls we find this time. <laughs> no, yeah. what, what I, I have a feeling you haven't learned 
quite how many. There's three of them hidden in one bloody box. I mean, God, they're not hidden. It was just an empty box. <laughs> they never think of looking it in a tunnels and trolls box. Thanks very much, everybody. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Enjoy the games. Yeah. See you next Tuesday. Definitely. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.